Welcome to the busy Latter-day Saint, where righteous desires and living life come together. Here, members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints discuss their challenges and successes in studying the scriptures. I'm your host, Richard Bernard. Before we hear from our guest, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and leave comments. This will help the podcast in reaching a larger audience. Also, invite your friends to listen. Information on how to reach me and a link to my website are in the show notes. The music for this program is by Marvin Goldstein and used with his permission. And now, today's interview. Matt, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing this Sunday night? Thank you very much. I'm doing quite well. I appreciate you having me on. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because you and I have a lot in common. No kidding. Yes. Um, if I understand correctly, you got your music degree at BYU? Yes, I did. Well, I didn't get mine from BYU, but I got mine from California University at uh, Los Angeles. And so we are both both musicians. I was going to be a music teacher and then went professionally. Uh, what, what was your aim when you were getting your degree? It was to go to law school, which I did. <laughs> so <laughs> I took an unconventional route. <laughs> yes. So I, I did a little pit stop in the vocal performance arena. And it ended up being quite nice because they paid me to go to school and sing opera. And then I used that in uh, certain ways to support my family through law school. Did a lot of private teaching, sang at the Macaroni Grill on the weekends. It was, a, it was kind of a nice way to distinguish myself from my peers in the law class. And yes. it ended up helping to pay some bills. Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, I don't remember the name of the restaurant. It was out in, by Palm Springs. But uh, all the waiters or waitresses were singers, and they did opera. And right. uh, it was really wonderful to go. And I guess that's the other thing we have in common. I've performed opera as a musician, uh, as, you know, in the orchestra. And, oh. I, and, and I, I really love um, uh, opera. Uh, so, yeah, we've got that in common. And um, let's see, what else? Oh, you're a lawyer. And I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. but, but as a young man in junior high school, I read the book called My Life in Court. And I can't remember who the attorney was, but he was a very famous attorney. And I got oh. so excited about becoming, wanting to become a lawyer. And I just read, I got a law dictionary so I could learn terms. You know, I was in junior high school and I just thought that'd be the greatest thing to become a lawyer. And um, what happened is I, going through school, I discovered I'm not a very good student. And of course, I didn't know why until in my adult years, I'm dyslexic. And oh, no, so, so no matter how, in fact, I had a full scholarship, music scholarship, um, and I couldn't accept it because my GPA was just a little too low. And so I had to go to a junior college first and work my way to the four-year university before I could get my degree in music. So um, anyway, that cut short my 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 law profession. <laughs> and so I decided to, I decided to play professionally and did that for a number of years. So anyway, those are the things we have in common. Well, I would also say that in junior high is when I decided that I was going to go to law school. I didn't know oh. quite how or what that meant or how it was going to go, but I, I was inspired by my eighth grade history teacher and the, the course we were studying all the U S presidents and we had to read this big book about all the presidents, and then I came to realize as I was reading all of these bios of these great men that 
most of them had had law training. And I thought, well, if I want to be great, I probably better go to law school someday. So <laughs> that's essentially what inspired me to do it. And then, of course, realizing that you didn't have to major in poli-sci was just an added bonus because I also had a lot of passion for music. So it all worked out pretty nicely for me. And I'm grateful that I learned what I did when I did to make it all fall into place. Well, I, I think that, that's wonderful. And we actually have one more thing in common. If I remember right, you have a life, you had a life license, and maybe you still do, in California. Yes, I do. And also in Ohio and West Virginia and Colorado and a couple of other states. Okay, a couple <laughs> other states. And when you first got your first life license, and for the audience, we're talking about life insurance license here, um, when, what was the company you were with? Well, I started out, this was when I had just taken the bar exam, maybe 10 years ago, and I was nervous, like most people who sit for the California bar exam, about taking, uh, passing the exam. So I thought, well, maybe I'll come up with a plan B while I'm waiting, because you have to wait about four months to get the results. And so I went and ventured out, got an insurance license, got contracted with Mass Mutual. That was uh -huh. 10 years ago. But then fast forward to four and a half years ago, I moved my law office in-house with a certified financial planner who is also a member of the church, David Stone, in Roseville, California. And uh, then I obtained my own Series 7, Series 66, and reinstated my life license. And so that practice runs alongside my law practice, and it does it does serve similar clientele, which is why yes. I wanted to add that to my offering. Yeah, I also had a 7, uh, 63, isn't it? Did you say 63? Yeah. Well, that is a thing. I have a 66. Oh, 66. I couldn't remember if I, my, I had a 60-something. It was a, quite a few years ago. I was a New York life agent. Oh, and I was That's in that good. I was in that profession for 25 years and a member of the Million Dollar Roundtable. And um, when I left music, I kind of fell into insurance and and stayed there for 25 years before I went into teaching. So oh, wow. any, anyway, we do have a lot uh, in common there. That's now, awesome. the, the one thing we don't have in common, uh, the person that uh, referred you to me, um, Sister Dupre, said that you were the American Ninja Warrior. Well, not the American Ninja Warrior. Well, that I don't mean the, funny. but... <laughs> That would imply that I won, which is not quite what happened. Uh, but yes, I did. I did get to compete. I was on episode three of this most recent season 12. And what a great experience. I learned a lot. I got to know some fantastic people. And I got to get into better physical shape than I've ever been in my life. So it was it was a series of wins in their own respect, but not a win on the course. <laughs> <laughs> well, we I think I've only seen that program once. So I have to admit I'm quite ignorant of the program. But I, I just picture you as having all these rippling muscles in a six pack. Well, that's fine. You can continue to have that. <laughs> <laughs> so but I, I, I must admit, uh, last night, as I was um, kind of researching with you know about you and things i did watch one um one segment and i found it very interesting uh, what, what they have to do it takes quite a bit of skill to to get through the course you're right it is skill it's a lot of physical strength but it's a lot more in the skill and the technique which is what a rookie like myself at 38 years old did not quite have but uh, i was really inspired by 
just the generosity of spirit that all of the competitors shared with each other. There is no uh, competitor against each other. It is all ninja against the course itself. And everybody was just incredibly compassionate and helpful. And, and especially this year with this season being filmed under such different, unique circumstances, people really did rally together and, and it came just to be a highlight of my year. And I've had quite a busy year, but this was just by far and away one of the sweetest experiences of my life. Well, now, if you became the ninja, is, uh, is there money involved, that, uh, like a grand oh, prize yes, or something? Prize. I don't really remember exactly what the cash prize is, but it is, it's a decent little chunk of money. And obviously somebody has won it 12 years, over the 12 seasons that they have done it. I happened to meet the guy who won this season, and he was just great. A great guy, a young, probably 26 years old, and just a really healthy and and motivating and sort of energetic, easy to be around. They did, this sport does attract some really high quality people. I came to find out. You know, you can kind of sense that when you watch the show. But boy, I when I got the itch to try it, I didn't realize that I'd be getting into a community that was just every bit as supportive in person as they seem to be on TV. Well, how did you get involved in it? Is it something you apply for or somebody it meets is. you? If you? You apply for it, and I, I happen to be, <laughs> I have followed the show for a few seasons, just casually. And I was sorting, I was at a point where I had had a foot surgery at the beginning of 2019. I had, it had been a rough recovery to get myself back into physical shape because I had to be non-weight-bearing for so much, so many weeks. And then it just never felt quite right. And by the time it was November, I really felt like I needed to find something that was going to motivate me to really get my physical ability back because I had run some half marathons. I'd been involved in some triathlons and other physical events. I've climbed to the top of high mountains. I've, you know, I've cycled in Iceland. I've done some adventurous things. Well, I needed something else, something new that was going to inspire me to to be very committed to a training regimen and get myself back into the shape I thought I could be in. And just really to rehab this leg and foot that had become so atrophied by underuse. Uh, so anyway, I was actually at a conference involving my profession. And one evening, I happened to have my wife with me at this point. We were at the hotel one evening. I was getting ready to fall asleep and I was flipping through channels on the TV and I came across an older season of Ninja Warrior, watched it for a little while, and then I just had the thought come into my mind, why couldn't you try out for this? <laughs> so, so I did some research and learned very quickly uh, through the website that you had to apply within two weeks of the night that I was doing the research. And it's a pretty involved application. There's a, a long series of sort of short answer essay questions, and then they ask you to submit a two to three minute video, and they don't want just a slap it together amateur-esque type video they want something to really showcase who you are as a person as an athlete as a competitor so fortunately for me my wife being from la knows people in show business and she had a good friend who was a filmmaker and he lived not 20 not 30 minutes from where we did so i hired him on the fly he came and made a very professional video and i guess the rest is history as they say wow that's very very interesting well, you've certainly had some um, interesting events in your life, and um, 
I think some of the most important events is you got married and, and you do have children. So tell us about your family. Sure. So I met Heather Brown, formerly Brown, who she, like I say, from South Pasadena, California. We met over the ice cream counter at the BYU Creamery in Provo. This was when I was just, I had returned home from my mission about 10 months before this. And it was October. We just celebrated our 17th anniversary of having met each other. And uh, we, I don't think I ever looked at another girl again. We, we were, <laughs> we, I was smitten. So we, we were married the following August, and our first daughter, Lucy, was born a year later. And we went to our last year of school with a baby in tow. Unfortunately for us, my younger sister had just started her freshman year at BYU and was really helpful in filling in some of the gaps where we both had classes or other commitments and helped us get through that final year of school. So then we went to law school and we had Liam, our only son, who is now 12, during my second year of law school. Ask me about that some other time. It's not something I highly recommend, but <laughs> it's the way it happened. And then after law school, we had graduated. I got into solo practice and then Eleanor was born in 2013. She's now seven. And then our baby caboose is Clara. She was born in 2016. She's now four. Well, now you said we as far as law school. Uh, so your wife is also an attorney? Well, what I mean is that in our undergrad studies, right? So Lucy was born while well, both she and I were at BYU getting oh, our okay. undergrad degrees. Heather studied dietetics. And then when we moved to Sacramento for law school, Heather was with the kids and I was going to school full-time and working a few jobs and teaching private lessons and yeah. trying to keep it all together. Now, uh, kind of sidetracking here, getting back to music, um, what operas did you perform in? Sure. So we set, we did uh, two full production operas. The two years that I was involved with them, we sang La Boheme in 2004. Mm -hmm. And then in 2005, we presented an original work that had been commissioned to to Murray Boren, who was a professor, artist in residence, composer in residence at BYU. And he was commissioned to compose an original opera about the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. And uh, I sang the role of Joseph Smith in the opera entitled The Book of Gold. It oh. was a really fantastic experience because it was to commemorate, of course, it was 2005. So it was to commemorate the bicentennial of Joseph Smith's birth. And we were double cast. So there was one cast of professionals who were recruited back to BYU. Either they were alumni or they were members of the church who had made professional careers in singing. And then there was the student cast and we got to rehearse and work alongside each other. And it was a singular experience. It was one of the highlights again of my adult life. It was uh, something I treasure. And uh, of course we're in the season now where uh, I like anniversaries. I like remembering when things happened and celebrating their their passage on the calendar. So we are, let's see, 15 years hence from the time that we performed that opera in uh, November of 2005. Wow. Now, is that available online to see? I don't think it is due to copyright concerns. There may be archival uh, performances at the School of Music Library or at mm -hmm. the main library at BYU. Okay. I have certainly never seen one of those performances, but they may be available. Now, um, was this an actual opera or a musical? And the well, audience may not know the difference between the two. It, but... was, 
it was definitely a full scale opera and it was written in atonal postmodern oh, wow. <laughs> style, which made it very, very challenging. I myself, singing the role of Joseph Smith, had well over three hundred pages of music to learn. Oh wow. Unbelievable. And memorize in an oh. atonal format, which made yes. <laughs> memorization nearly impossible. But uh, and it was uh, also the time I was studying for the LSAT. I don't know. I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> My gosh. You know, the audience may wonder, well, what's atonal? Well, uh, at its very basic thing, you don't have a key. <laughs> there is no key, right? So people refer to yeah, yeah, a Yeah, there, the, the, there's no A-flat or C-sharp or anything. It's, it's just... <laughs> And therefore, in the key of nothing. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Well, you've really had some great, great experiences. Now, how did you manage you know, to do all this? Uh, well, let me uh, go back to a little, even a little bit further. You uh, grew up in the church. I did. Yes, I okay. was born and raised in northern Utah on a dairy farm. On a dairy farm. Okay. So you know about work. Uh, a thing or two, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> If we weren't working, we were working. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And you served a mission. Where did you serve a mission? I did. I went to Tijuana, as as gringos would say, Tijuana, Mexico. I was there from 2000 to 2002. Again, speaking of anniversaries, all good things happened to me in the fall, you'll find out. <laughs> so I began and ended my mission December 13th. Uh, went into the MTC December 13th of 2000 and returned home on December 13th of 2002. My mission was exactly 24 months to the hour. Wow. And that area of Mexico, um, I visited a few times being a Californian myself, but right. that would be an interesting place to serve a mission because you really you've got a lot of people coming in and out. It was a fascinating place to serve a mission, and you feel, I feel really like I got to be in all of Mexico at once because there is so much of a melting pot phenomenon that goes on there. Uh, it's also a very interesting dichotomy, right, between the Mexican culture and lifestyle and way of living and then the American culture that is so prevalent and different in the border towns. So. It has always fascinated me ever since I was there as a missionary to see how people sort of live a dual life. They have their Mexican life. They have their American life. They have their Mexican pesos and their American dollars. They pay their rent to their Mexican landlord in American dollars, and then they cross the border and earn American dollars and buy groceries and bring them back. And then they have their their Mexican mail address, but they have their uh, American P.O. box so they can get their Amazon packages. It's just a very, very interesting way of living, and it has always fascinated me. But beyond that, there's just the fact that at any given point, they really don't know how many people are in that city because it is so yes. fluid. There's people yeah. coming in and going out. And at the time I was there, at least, the best estimate was there was anywhere from 2 million to 4 million people. But we knew that for every one person, there were at least four dogs roaming the streets. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a very, very fun place to be. I I never felt threatened. I never felt unsafe. Uh, the people, by and large, were so warm and welcoming. And yes, there's crime. Yes, there's untoward activity going on there. But uh, we we did get to witness some of that, but never really felt, I never felt like uh, I was under any sort of threat. It was a wonderful place to serve a mission. Yeah, it's an interesting city. I remember... Um... That was the first time I saw Hi Lai. 
Oh, is that right? Yeah. Uh, I went with some friends, and they said, have you ever been to a highlight game? I said, no, I've seen it on TV, but I've never been to one. It was fascinating. It's such a high, um, fast-paced sport. It's what I understand. I can't say that I've ever seen it. It wasn't very actively going on when I was there, at least that we knew of. Mm -hmm. Uh, The big sport obviously had turned into soccer for most of the people that I came in contact with. And then it was always interesting to me, too. In one of the areas of Tijuana where I served, there was a bullfighting ring. It was decommissioned. It wasn't really ever used, but that's where they had their bullfights. Yes, and as a young boy... Um, I'm in my 70s, so as a young boy, I remember watching on TV, I think it was Channel 5, we could watch the bullfights from that city. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, it was probably from that location. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure it was. Well, with all the things that you have to do, how do you find time for scripture study, or you just throw it aside and don't worry about it? Well, (laughs) (laughs) that's a a very good pointed question you asked there. Uh, I would say that depending on the season of life that I've been in, it's been uh, either I have been motivated to do it because of a particular question that I have or because of a particular calling that demands that I stay sharp in the scriptures. For example, during college, I worked at the MTC, Missionary Training Center in Provo, Utah, alongside my collegiate studies. And so, of course, we were in in the scriptures daily, and I found myself needing to be immersed in that world simply because to be an effective teacher and then later a a trainer of teachers, a supervisor of teachers, the scriptures just have to be second nature to you. So that it became easy there. Uh, During law school, I found that I was sort of nudged into continuing to stay immersed in that by being called as an early morning seminary teacher, which I did during law school and during studying for the bar exam, which was no easy feat, uh, but it did keep me engaged in there. And then most recently, I was called again to teach early morning seminary, which I've been doing via Zoom, given what's going on in our world right now. And it's been it's, it's been an interesting and, and rewarding experience. I'd rather be doing it in person, but it has brought a group of very capable and bright and spiritually oriented teenagers into my presence virtually every day. And it's been a treat to study the latter half of the Book of Mormon with them this past semester. Uh, it, it, uh, what I have found with this group is less is more. And what I mean by that is I seem to, to see that they get more out of class the less I fret about what's going to happen in class. Right? So they seem to be very good at taking the reins and and, and really feeding each other. It's been, it's been a marvelous thing to see how they've blossomed via Zoom. Well, now, I know that you're on the East Coast right now. Are you in New York? Where are you right now? In Ohio. Oh, you're in Ohio. Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, where in Ohio? Marietta. It's southeastern Ohio, just over the river from West Virginia. Okay. All right. And that's where you're living now, or you're just it visiting is. there? It is. relocated here uh, this past June. We decided that it was time to make a change, and we had uh, discovered this great place a little over a year ago. Last summer, we were visiting my cousin, who happens to be my favorite cousin on my dad's side. Sorry if my other cousins are listening. It's just how it is. (laughs) And um, we had never lived in the same area. We had been pen pals our whole lives. Anyway, we had decided, my wife and I, we were going to rent a motorhome for five weeks and drive around this great country and show our kids 
some of the wonderful things that we knew and then discover some new things together. Anyway, we decided that this place, Marietta, Ohio, would be our turning around point before we headed south and made the loop back to California. And uh, didn't take long. In fact, it didn't take very many minutes as we were coming closer and closer to my cousin's home for me to realize this is a special place and I needed to investigate it. And then I, and then I had a serious prompting that this is where we needed to be. And then it wouldn't go away. <laughs> and so before we left town, we actually went for, to view a property that was on the market at that point. And lo and behold, it was waiting for us when we were ready to move this spring. We ended up buying that very first place we saw over a year ago. Now, what about your law practice then? Did you move that or some, are you still associated with what's going on in California? Yes, my law practice is still very much a going concern. Every, all systems are go. I work remotely uh, most of the time, and then I do make the trip back regularly for in-person client meetings and document okay. signings, uh, other things. But it's been, it's been a fairly convenient time to slip away and make this sort of a, a relocation because everything is happening so virtually these days. Well, now, what do you do as a family as far as scriptures? Um, I'm always interested on how families manage that, especially with younger children and everything. What, what happens within your family? <laughs> well, that's an interesting, fun thing to talk about, isn't it? I mean, we've got a spread of age 4 to 15, right? And so different understanding, different skill levels, different needs. What we have found probably works the best for us is to use the Come Follow Me manual and have open discussions about different verses. And I like to ask pointed questions about a certain verse any given time uh, over dinner, usually, because that seems to be when we're all gathered together. It isn't ever anything too in-depth or, or lengthy, but there's always some discussion about a particular verse or how would you feel if you were Mormon in this moment and how would just how would this feel if you had a certain challenge and overcoming it different ways like these people in the scriptures did. So we, we usually try to keep that discussion alive over dinner, you know, because food helps grease the skids. I think we, we have yes. found everything is easier over food. Yes. Uh, food is a, a great, um, well, it's just a great medium to get people to talk and everything. Now, what about you personally, as far as scripture study, do you have a regular schedule? What do you do? Well, I do. It's usually it's in the, the time before we start seminary in the morning because I am alone and it's quiet and it's usually I've got an urgent need, right? I need inspiration to, to, to just to determine where the class is going to go, which direction we're going to head. I have learned over time that I teach better when I have uh, a very simple objective. And so getting into the scriptures in just even the 10 or 15 minutes before the class starts. And sometimes I'll do it the night before. Like I, what I have enjoyed recently is to put on the scriptures while I'm actually taking a shower. I have a waterproof Bluetooth speaker and I'll turn the audio version of the scriptures on the gospel library app, connect that to the Bluetooth speaker. And then while I'm getting ready in the morning or the evening, just have that playing. And it has been something that sort of does absorb and then gets me thinking about other things or I'll catch an idea for a lesson plan that I wouldn't have caught before. And 
I think approaching it in, in two or three different ways, like doing that immediate, what have I got to do this morning sort of urgency, as well as let me just take a little bit more time and have the scriptures flow into me, uh, and then see how they combine when I come together, uh, between the need that I see in my students or that I'm being prompted to develop in our class, as well as just simple enrichment for my Myself, right? The two of those end up meeting together really nicely most of the time. Yeah, we uh, we are very blessed to have technology where we can listen to the scriptures or listen to general conference whenever we want, even in the shower. Um, sure. I have an iPhone, uh, and they're pretty much water resistant, and so I just put the phone in the, on a shelf in the shower if I want to listen to something. Um, but every morning I, I make sure that I listen to or read the Book of Mormon. And then I, I divide that from my study time. So I consider reading and studying separate. So uh, then I'll go into studying. But I agree with you. When we listen to the scriptures, our mind does start to tune into things that maybe we're not aware of. And I think it's very, very powerful. You're right. And I also, it's interesting for me because I am not a fan of audiobooks generally. I have never really enjoyed hearing somebody else's voice narrate the story. I like to take it at my own pace, read it for myself, hear the, the voices that my own mind creates for the characters. And th I guess the only exception to that has been in the scriptures because uh, I don't know, either the voices do a good job of, of, developing the story for me or because I'm, I'm trying to hear it for a different purpose. But I have found what you're saying is true. There's, there's a different angle. It catches you at in different ways that you might not perceive if you were just skimming over the words on the page. So, and to do both of those things, and you're right, reading is different than studying, but to do, to, to, to bring the scriptures into yourself with both of those media, both the, the written word and the spoken word is an interesting and, and often very powerful tool. Now, when you read the scriptures and you having training as a lawyer, do you uh, mm. kind of zero in on certain words or something? What do you do oh, when you're I actually do. reading and studying? Well, I, and this is one thing that my seminary students would tell you, is I really, really focus heavy on chapter headings. I don't think that chapter headings get enough usage mm. or enough digestion among church membership. I happen to believe that those chapter headings were written by inspiration and that they point us in directions that we should be watching out for. They're sort of like a road mark, a road map, or a, a guidepost to get your, your mind, your spirit primed for what's it going to be in this chapter. So when I'm teaching a seminary class, I'll often ask one of the seminary students to read the chapter heading, and they know that I do interrupt them <laughs> rather abruptly and rather often to zero in on a word to zero in on a phrase, to zero in on why did they choose, why did the compiler, the the author, the abridger, why did he choose this particular word? What does this phrase mean in this context? Have you seen this phrase somewhere else? So, uh, you know, I am a wordsmith, both because of my law training and because of the vocal training. I have spent a considerable amount of my life in words and developing words and how phrases work together both musically and in literature and it's fascinating to me because now most of the writing that I do is very technically oriented, you know, drafting legal documents that have very specific and important meanings and are going to have a lasting impact on people's lives. 
and contrasting that with some of the richest poetic writing that is in the scriptures, but yet still develops and packs that punch that is so direct. I just, I, wow. I, I think my writing technically has been informed by some of the best writing that I see in the scriptures. Well, you've brought up something that I haven't thought about, but I should have um, recognized with my musical training and that as, first of all, I've got to tell you, I, I believe that the human voice is the ultimate instrument. I don't care how, uh, I've, been, I've been with the top artist on piano and, and cello and violin, all of the top ones, and they play beautifully, but nothing matches the human voice. Absolutely nothing. Well, I can't, I can't disagree with you on that. I yeah. certainly feel the same way. And, <laughs> and so, I chose to dedicate four years of my life to yes. develop and so you, you mentioned that as as a vocalist, you really have to think about the words and how to phrase them. True, very yeah. true. Yeah, because absolutely. What, what most people don't realize is that it isn't just you're, you're not just singing words to a pitch. There's so much more that goes into it if you're doing it with intent. And it's it's fun to be involved in a teaching setting where you're helping. Kind of, kind of expose this great secret about the delivery of a one word over another or or emphasizing one syllable over another could change the entire arc of that phrase. It's fascinating stuff. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of music and poetry in the scriptures, so much so that that's why so many of our greatest hymns are just lifted right out of the scriptures, almost verbatim, because whoever was writing these was using a particular cadence or using a particular style of writing in order to convey this powerful message. And they did it conscientiously. And of course we know they did it under revelation. What is it about humans that, that vibrates and resonates so well with poetry and music? Well, we've been taught, it's been revealed to us that this is how we show worship. This is how the Lord wants to be worshiped. So why would he not teach us in very similar or even the same ways? Oh, I think, you know, that's a great comment. Absolutely. No, I, I agree with that 100%. Well, we're getting close to our, our time here, and um, I don't know, you probably don't know this, but I always ask those who I'm talking to if they wouldn't mind bearing their testimony, and we'll end with that. So would you mind doing that? I would be happy to. I'm grateful for the opportunity, actually, and this is a unique forum to bear testimony, but I, I have learned for myself over a variety of experiences over a number of years that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the true and living church upon the earth. I happen to have had a couple of unique experiences that are very singular, very personal, very special to me that have uh, given me, without doubt, a, a knowledge, a surety that Joseph Smith was the instrument in God's hands. Again, using a musical term, he was the instrument in God's hands to bring forth the latter-day gospel and church of Jesus Christ in this dispensation. I'm grateful to have that knowledge because that, that administration of the gospel, the structure, the organization of the church, enables millions of people today to come closer to their Savior, and I'm grateful for that. I, I know that he lives and that he wants only the very best of, of all his choicest blessings to be upon us. Even in difficult and dark times, he is there and he's, he's ever-present and he wants uh, 
our eternal success and salvation. I know the Book of Mormon is true, and the other scriptures that we've been given are complementary to each other, and they teach us wonderful, important, impactful lessons that we can use for ourselves and for our families. And I bear all of that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.